This is a Chicago Inno Show. I'm Jim Dalkey. I'm Karis Husted. I'm Will Flanagan. And for the one-on-one this week, Will spoke with Nuha Nazi and Amelia Rugovska, the co-founders at Z-Axis Factory, a new shared manufacturing space in Chicago. For the fun one, Karis headed down to the Orland Park Dave & Busters, where she got her hands on one of a handful of Snapchat spectacles. The popular social media app launched a pop-up at the South Suburban Arcade, and it was the only place in Illinois people have been able to buy the video glasses. But we start this week with the big one, and this week we're talking about the big end-of-year stories and takeaways from the Chicago tech scene. 2016 has been an interesting year. It's been a big year for Chicago tech. Will, what stood out for you this year? Cool. When I was thinking about the year in Chicago tech and innovation, I thought a lot about the last two years, which were huge, kind of came out of nowhere in the past, in 2014 and 2015, Chicago tech companies recorded a combined $7 billion and $8 billion in exits. That means all of the companies that were either acquired or merged with another company totaled $8 billion. And that was led by CleverSafe selling to IBM for $1.4 million. Field Glass sold for over a billion dollars. TrustWave sold for eight hundred million. So over the past two years, a lot of Chicago tech companies have made money. They've exited. They've done really well. And while that is a great thing for the ecosystem, uh, that is something we're celebrating. That is money back into Chicago tech. Clever Safe, for example, that deal created eighty millionaires. Uh, that is a win when a company exits. However, there was an opinion while all these exits were being announced that, if anything, all of these deals was what's wrong with Chicago Tech. And the theory was, why does Chicago always have to be the acquiree and not the acquirer? Why is Chicago not creating these transformational businesses that are, they're the ones on the other end of the deal table? Uh, I didn't agree with that opinion because, again, exits are good. They give money back to the ecosystem and it births new startups and entrepreneurs. But I get it. However, if you are that person who had that take, who had that opinion, 2016 was a year for you. And that's that's what, what I think the year in tech should be celebrated for is it was the year Chicago Tech played the acquirer. We had Context Media, one of our fastest growing startups, acquired Accent Health, which was their biggest competitor, now creating the largest healthcare decision platform in the entire country. Allstate acquired Square Trade for $1.4 billion. Cars.com acquired Dealer Raider. Morningstar acquired PitchBook. Groupon acquired Living Social. Grubhub acquired a number of delivery startups. All in all, Chicago companies acquire companies, not just in Chicago. So if you're one of those people saying, you know, where's the transformational businesses that are leading these deals? Here they were. They were here in 2016, and it was cool seeing Chicago Tech uh, growing up a bit in that in that respect. Exactly. I do think that's 100% uh, an, an indicator of a maturing startup ecosystem when your tech companies can get to the point where they are able to acquire other companies. I think, and I'll sort of go on to my point now of what a big takeaway I had from 2016 is along those exact lines about this ecosystem, which is truly maturing. We're seeing, uh, in some instances, founders who have had billion dollar exits come back and start their brand new companies. And they're doubling down and building their companies again in Chicago. And that is totally indicative of a startup ecosystem that is growing and maturing. Now, Chicago might not have the same uh, venture capital investment figures that it had in 2014 and 2015. But in 2016, it saw three founders in Eric Lakofsky at Groupon, Sean Chu at Field Glass, and Chris Gladwin at 
uh, CleverSafe, who've all had billion-dollar exits. Now they've just started brand-new companies this year, doing some really interesting things. Eric Lukowski's tackling cancer with Tempest. Sean Chu is doing some really interesting things around uh, chatbots for businesses. Uh, Gladwin's company is still a little under wraps. But these are companies that are taking big swings at big problems, and it's just indicative of Chicago's ecosystem, like you said, growing up a little bit. Michael Jordan was transformational for Chicago basketball, right? He put it on the map. But in sports, you retire, and then hopefully your your local sports team t- can catch another one. But what you're talking about, Jim, it's like Michael Jordan's coming back. We have our best entrepreneurs who are back at it again, which keeps that that ecosystem really, really healthy and growing. And it's really exciting to see, you know, quote, unquote, the best of the best back at it again. Chicago has a tremendous amount of first-time founders that are keeping this pipeline really strong, but it comes down to the serial entrepreneurs to accelerate that, and, and we're seeing it this year. And 2016, to me, was not so much about what happened this year, but setting the stage for the next couple. Yeah, and I mean, this isn't Michael Jordan coming back to sports <laughs> and, like, going to baseball, you know? I mean, this is, like, some really interesting new things. Um, Jim, can you actually talk a little bit more about what these serial entrepreneurs are doing? Because I think um, what they're doing is not just getting into a new startup. They're actually... Um, thinking of some really mm-hmm. interesting ways of tackling some old industries. Totally. So let's take Lukowski, for example. Uh, built uh, Groupon, Daily Deals. Now he's on to Tempest, which is a far cry from Daily Deals. Tempest is building an operating system for cancer. Basically, it's using uh, genomic sequencing and machine learning to help doctors get a better understanding of a patient's tumor. So basically what they're doing is helping doctors really tailor cancer treatment care to a specific individual based on their specific tumor. Like, that is no small feat. And they are already partnering with several local hospitals, uh, Northwestern and Rush, to really uh, give a comprehensive level of care that they haven't seen before. So it's really big. Um, like Catalytic is already working with businesses to really help automate processes with chatbots. We're hearing a lot about chatbots. Uh, we wrote a story about how a local entrepreneur around here did a Drake chatbot, let you chat with the quote-unquote Drake. Uh, but what they're doing is sort of taking a, a sort of novelty tech feature and really helping businesses automate their processes and help them reach customers faster and more efficiently. So this is a big news. I mean, Catalytic, this is Sean Chu's company with the chatbots. I mean, they've already raised $11 million and we have very little information on what exactly they do. So the the investors are very bullish on what's going on. uh, And then as they can kind of continue to roll out their plans, we're going to be really excited to kind of see what they're up to. Catalytic makes sense to me as a Chicago tech company. It's it's software that helps businesses be better at being business. Uh, Lukowski startup Tempest really excites me because I love Chicago tech, but moonshots don't happen here. We build pragmatic platforms and software, and it's exciting to me that again an operating system for cancer. That is a that is that's a startup that is built on the coast. Um, don't take that to the fence, the Midwest. That's just not the type of stuff we build. So I love that for the next coming years, like that, that is going to be one of our startups to watch is a company taking on a really, really big problem. Uh, and I think that's really cool. That's another sign of the maturation process. 
Yeah, and I mean, here we've talked about kind of the people who are coming back and starting their next ventures, the serial entrepreneurs, as well as the sort of big players who are making acquisitions. But I think on kind of like the pipeline side, which is what I which is more so what I cover on kind of the education side. We've also seen a lot of uh, building uh, foundational infrastructure, which has been pretty cool um, in terms of what those potential next big time entrepreneurs could be. So um, for example, University of Chicago got a $35 million donation earlier this year from Michael Polsky, who's the founder of Invenergy, which is a very successful energy company here in Chicago. Um, and they used that donation to actually spin out into a standalone uh, institution within the University of Chicago. So instead of just working with the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, you know, just working with the MBA students, um, now they're kind of taking the entrepreneurship uh, Perspective and bringing it to the entire University of Chicago uh, campus. Um, and that's a big deal because, I mean, that extends out to Argonne and Fermilab, which are these, you know, really high-tech, science-heavy, um, you know, very powerful uh, research institutions connected with UChicago. And it also extends it to, you know, the really uh, bright undergrads and, you know, the students who are working at the Harris School of Public Policy, which is where Ballot Ready came out of, which was a uh, voter education startup that we talked to a few weeks ago on the podcast. So um, that was definitely a huge move. Um, In addition to that, they also launched a uh, $25 million fund for um, early stage startups. Um, again, just making sure that they're not only creating the startups, but funding them. Um, so that was two huge moves from University of Chicago. And then on the other end of uh, the kind of Chicago entrepreneurship ecosystem, at least in the university sense, Northwestern also uh, launched two more funds this year. Um, one is devoted to commercializing university tech, and the other one um, is all about seed funding for student startups. So again, North Western is also um, making sure that the students have um, what they they need to to move forward there too. I mean, and then, you know, between all the other universities, University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign has just continued to move forward with their iVenture Accelerator, which is a year-long program that gives students $10,000 in seed funding, and it's been really interesting to see the startups that have come out of there, startups that have predicted Brexit through sentiment analysis and data analytics, um, you know, to a startup that's creating uh, robotic therapy animals. So um, I think, you know, we're seeing uh, the kind of the seeds being planted. Um, Funding is extremely important to that. Um, So, you know, I hope that that then creates that foundation that leads to more Lefkowski's and, um, you know, Morningstar acquirers and that type of thing. Yeah, I don't think you can overstate the importance of a healthy college community to the strength of a tech ecosystem. I mean, there is no greater resource that tech companies have to hire super smart salespeople and engineers. Exactly right. And so like Chicago's got these great universities and keeping people here is something that we talk about a lot in terms of making Chicago a strong and relevant and interesting tech community. And so everything that the universities are doing on their level, it's great to kind of see because they understand the importance of kind of keeping those people here within the state. Oh, sorry, guys, but here's another sports uh, analogy slash metaphor that I'm going to force hey, into good year Chicago, Chicago tech. sports, so, <laughs> so it's fine. Yeah. We're, this, we don't often get to say that, so that's okay. That's exactly right, right? So Chicago, the Cubs, why did the Cubs win? They didn't win because... Uh, they because of their their veterans who were at it again like John Lester uh, they it was a combination of the people that came in it was a combination of their farm system and in a way that's that's an ecosystem You're, it's not going to survive with really talent with just really talented student founders it's not going to survive with with a couple serial entrepreneurs who are killing it you need all of those things working together 
And Chicago Tech is, you know, why not take after the Cubs, uh, have have a good farm system, spend a little money, get get those pros at it, and uh, together it, it's going to keep building what it's building, which is a really healthy ecosystem. All right, now let's throw it to the one-on-one with Will's conversation with the co-founders of Z-Axis Factory. This is Will with Chicago Inno, and I am here at Z-Axis Factory. It's a brand new business factory here in the city of Chicago, and I'm with Nuha Nazi and Amelia Rogovska, <laughs> the two co-founders of Z-Axis. So what Z-Axis Factory is, it's, it's a huge space that's for innovators, and it basically it provides shared manufacturing, technology, production, and staff to, to for entrepreneurs and anyone with an idea to make your product to sell your product. So that's what Z-Axis is. We'll get a little bit more into the details. But first, tell me why Z-Axis? Why is this space here? Why <laughs> there is so much going on? Uh, what is the why behind this place? You know what? There's There are so many places in Chicago that give you the space and the coffee and the chairs to think up a great idea. And there just aren't any spaces that really give you the ability to start generating revenue from that great idea. And so we saw uh, an opportunity for me from a technology perspective, and then in conversations with Amelia, bringing in the art perspective. Um, And we realized there's a lot more uh, at the intersection of art and and science Mm -hmm. and engineering than I realized. And there's a lot of overlap. It was um, in a lot of ways, you know, when you think about it, um, a lot of the equipment that we have here, right, um, you would think it would be used for very heavy duty, let's say, you know, wood shop, metal shop, people always think, oh, you know, you're, you've got to be making cabinets. And all of that's here. Right. All of that stuff is here. But people might be thinking, you know, this is for somebody who is making heavy duty steel things yeah. or wood um, cabinets or stuff like that. But artists are very much into that sort of um, stuff as well. So all that equipment Mm -hmm. is not necessarily just used for people that are creating the, you know, the average like, oh, there's a table. Maybe there is another way of um, getting the artists in here to to also use use something like that and, and, you know, share with um, the innovators and other people as well. And it's completely, and it's not just here is a here is a space where you can make its top to bottom services, which makes it unique as well. Because there are uh, there are maker spaces in the city, but you build your thing, and now what? But this is kind of designed and architected to answer that what next question. So, what are some of the things that that outside of here are the tools, here's the space, here's a roof over, go at it? Like, what are some of the other things? Z-Axis does to take you from idea to revenue. You know, well, that's exactly right. So what we are, what we pride ourselves on and what sets us apart is that we also have a production team. Mm-hmm. So when you're building your product, let's say you, you want to build some 3D components to, to uh, a device that's actually very artistic. So let's say a customized clock. You do the woodwork, we'll do the 3D printing. Yeah. 
whatever aspect you don't have the skill and don't want to do, we can fill in for you. But at the same time, we provide that back office support, everything from shipping, receiving, fulfillment, helping you produce your product, do the signage, do some of the graphic design. Um, we've even created some partnerships with some of the biggest law firms oh, to, uh, so Nixon Peabody, for example, to develop starter kits for companies. So you have a great idea, you're ready to start generating revenue. We can connect you up and get you some a phenomenal package to start up your business. Um, and those are the things we bring to it. So it's not just about the amazing laser cutter and the die sub printing. It's also about Mark and Keith who were there to do the work and help you through it. Also, if you think about it, a lot of people that are just, you know, living in their basement kind of like, oh, my God, I have this great idea, yeah, right? Yeah, I want to yeah. do this. Not a lot of them are very business savvy, right? Especially like, especially, you know, artists are like, they're great at doing what yeah. they're doing, but they're not necessarily the best salespeople or they yeah. don't necessarily <laughs> yeah. know how to go about to actually do what they love mm -hmm. and make money at it, right? So ultimately, this is where our space comes in. Um, where you come in here and you will talk to people that are a little bit more you know, savvy in the business world. Maybe they have gone already through something like this, right? They've already started their idea. They're already producing their product. Um, I actually look at this more of like a, a revenue test, right? You bring your product in, let's say you make it first in wood, but it turns out that the market is actually looking more for something that's in metal, right? So you ultimately, let's say you make your first 20, but then maybe, hey, you know, maybe I want to try it in wood. Maybe I want to try it in metal. Maybe I want to try it in glass. See how it sells. So in some way, you coming up with your idea and small manufacturing is great for something like this when you're just starting to test the waters of what's going to be the ultimate um, the ultimate product that you're going to produce and later yeah. on take somewhere where you're going to produce two million of it, right? So give me an example. We're talking about this is the perf. This is a business factory. You come with your idea. You live. You leave with your business. What are some of those ideas? What are we? What are you already seeing? Z access uh, officially. You started moving into to the Kuna space in October. So what are to, to give the listeners an idea of of you know to picture what we're what we're talking about when we say idea? What are some of those things that Come in as an idea, leave as a business. You know, I'll give you two, two great examples. We have PJ McGuire, who's a member at our, our space at Z-Axis. Um, she developed a product called the Wrapper Root. It is a salon product for uh, handling chemicals in a salon and drying your hair. And it does an amazing things. It's a great product. It was just premiered on the Home Shopping Network. Mm. She's here... She doesn't want to do the soap. She yeah. designed the product. She designed the way it looks. She brings it here. We run the, the dye sub patterns. We can tra transfer it to her material, help her get it to the folks that are going to do the sewing. And then she's bringing back a couple pallets of it to actually do the fulfillment, do the final wrapping it up. She's going to take over some of our space, do that production work. That's one example. Another is uh, Kevin Mueller, 
who is the bow tie wood guy. He does it here. He runs the laser cutter. He does the finishing. He does the uh, the texturizing of of his bow ties, his cufflinks, his earrings. Great product. We're working with him. He's also on an, on the Etsy site. Um, so from that perspective, you know, he's got a little bit more traction. He's been in a revenue position for a while, but we're here to actually expand what he can do. Yeah. We're starting to talk to him about his social media presence and helping him keep that alive. Ultimately, at this point, you know, he's doing everything by himself, right? Yeah. So he's cutting out a few at a time. He's getting ready for shows. He's selling them out of, uh, you know, like the little booths that people set up for, for um, art fairs yeah. and things like that. But ultimately, at some point, you get to a point where you get really, really too busy for that, right? Yeah. Ultimately, if you have files and they're all ready, this is where we come in. You're too busy to make them. Now you send them over. Yeah. We have the files. Everything is set up. Kevin is actually in our database, already has his files, already has his designs. All he's got to do is he's calling us up and says, hey, I have a show coming up in three weeks. I need 50 of these, 60 of these, 70 of these. Wrap them up for me. Send them to whichever city that I'm going mm -hmm. to be at. And that's that's how it's going to work yeah. for him. What I think is really cool about what ZX is doing is that there's a lot of uh, places and and organizations that cater to a type of entrepreneur, which is the digital entrepreneur. I am building something that maybe goes to the Apple Store and they keep working at it, or it's a service or a platform. And there are co-working spaces and mentorship programs and so much for that type of entrepreneur that it's almost uh, applied an exclusiveness. People hear, oh, you're at a startup. It must be a digital startup. And this is really filling the gap for um, you, entrepreneurs, in other words, for a small business owner. And small business owner doesn't have to be a tech entrepreneur. So what were some of the advantages or, or the disadvantages facing these builders, these makers, these artists that, that you knew there was a need for for this? So I this is my fifth uh, business. So I've been around the block once or twice. Yeah. And the two biggest things that, uh, you know, coming up with a great idea is, is actually not the hard part. Yeah. I mean, some people do it better than others, absolutely. But that's not the hard part. The hard part is getting the equipment mm. and getting the staff that knows how to run that equipment while you're starting up, when you're just selling two a month, when you're now selling five fifty, and ultimately getting to that five thousand and fifty thousand number, that initial stage is almost impossible to yeah. overcome. You go to a bank or an investor. First questions they're going to ask you is, "How long have you been in business? How long have you been generating revenue?" And zero is really not the answer they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that, that's, that's, that's a bad answer it's for, just, for a bad yeah, manager. As a tip-off, if you're starting a business, yeah. zero is bad. Um, but the idea is, you know, so now you there's no way you're getting yeah. that lease finance. Um, so you're not getting the lease on the equipment. How are you going to hire staff when you can't guarantee their payroll next month? And are they really going to sit around and do nothing until you get to a point where you're selling 5,000 a month. Yeah. And that's what we alleviate. That is really the thing that sets us apart. 
We've invested in the equipment that you really can't get anywhere else. Um, and we've invested in the staff. We have, you know, aside from Mark and Keith, we've got Jen and Teddy. Mm-hmm. We've got ourselves. We've got backup support uh, in graphic design and video and all sorts of things uh, in CAD design. We have all these people that we have on contract or work full time for us. And that is something that no small business can afford when they start up. And if you really think about it, right, the small manufacturing is the most underserved place, right? Because you, like we've talked before, you can find a lot of places where you can come up with the idea, right? That will kind of help you there. And then you have all these places that are ready to produce two million of your thing. But what happens with the soft spot in between, right? The, the belly of the beast that actually is going to get your, your product somewhere, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the really underserved part of, of any business, right? When you're starting up. Yeah. Like a lot of times, even with um, um, t-shirt printing, for example, right? You can get them printed when you're ordering, you know, 500. But what if you need like three? Yeah. You know what I mean? Then it costs you a lot of money just to do screen printing. That's really, you know, that's very hard when you're just starting up, when you're trying to see how your product is going to look like. Yeah. And it, what's cool, another thing that intrigued me about learning more about Z-Axis is it's its place, the fact that it's happening here in Chicago where there is a history and a legacy of manufacturing and you hope that Chicago stays on the innovative side of that trend and uh, this idea of small manufacturing and shared manufacturing is new. Uh, is is Chicago the ideal place for Z-Access? Is this a good fit? Uh, you know, we are Chicago and we cover builders here in this city. We are uh, so stubbornly focused on local. How has um, how has Chicago been as either a support system or just motivation for for Z Axis? You know, I think the community, the the degree of skills that we have is actually incredible. I think you know this is going to sound terrible, but I think one of the good outcomes of this terrible economy that we just lived yeah. through is all these people have started realizing they have to depend on themselves yeah. and not the big companies. And so you're getting these ideas that are coming from nowhere. And what I love about where we're located, not just in Chicago, but in Pilsen specifically, is we're, we're attracting members that are coming from the South Side. You know, there are plenty of companies and places where you can share space on the North Side. There is not much. I mean, you th- I don't know, actually, other than a couple, um, I, I actually can't name of one, name one other than perhaps Pumping Station um, on the south side of yeah. Chicago. So this terrible economy we've gone through, people are starting to look at ways where they can depend on themselves. They're becoming Uber drivers. They're doing three, four different gigs. We allow them to wrap it all up and actually generate creative business. The skills they have, since all those big manufacturers have left town, Mm. those skills didn't leave, right? These are the people that are underserved in the city, and they're there, and they're looking for ways to become part of the economy, and we hope to be that place where they can do that. Yeah, because that's an interesting point, because a a lot of... 
you know, one piece of the economic development is how do you teach the 21st century skills that are required for maybe these digital businesses or find a better way to harness existing skills in this as a place that, because it, it, going back to our discussion about you know catering to a different type of entrepreneurship, becoming Mark Zuckerberg is cool, sure, but so is just meeting payroll right. and, <laughs> and like hiring a person and then hiring another person and building pragmatically. And uh, there are very there are a lot of spaces and energy dedicated to fostering the latter. But, or the former, but not the latter. And this is a space right. for like grow your pragmatic business. Not that a Zuckerberg right. could right. not build. Right. A... But also, in addition, there's a, a great thing that let's say that we're, we started doing too um, after um, talking and structuring our business. We thought, you know, there's a lot of people that have skills that want to share the skills. You know yeah. what I mean? So ultimately, the way we have it set up is if when you're becoming a member, you will list your skills. And, we, and we're starting a database of all these people with all the skills that they have that they're willing to share. Mm -hmm. And um, ultimately, we're setting up some classes so people cool. can actually share their, uh, their ideas and share their um, skills that they have to um, help others um, you know, that are interested in maybe learning something about woodshop that never learned about woodshop, you know what I mean? Ultimately, schools are no longer doing the woodshop as, you know, Nuha and I grew up, you know. we I had woodshop, metal shop, all that fun stuff. Right now, these days, you ask anybody, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? Screwdriver? Yeah. What does it look like? <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny, but, you know, ultimately, some people still want to learn how to do these things. So. Yeah, and outside of so, you know, Z axis opens, and, and the people who are going to uh, Foxwood maybe right away are those who've been waiting for something like this. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you kind of tap into the person who doesn't even know that that this is for them, or or to the person who has an idea and just assumes that. It will always remain an idea because I don't have the resources, the energy, or, or the so-and-so to, to get it done. So part of what we're doing, and this is, this is our long-term goal, not all of this is going to happen in the next six weeks, but what we've started doing is connecting up with folks that are players in, on, on the south side, yeah. specifically um, this, the Southwest Development Corporation, the 18th Street Development Corp., we're trying to tap into them. You know, there, these, there are people who have been trying for years to get to this point, and we think we can be the launching point. Yeah. And it's just a matter of sharing that story. And so we've been out there. We've been, we host tours uh, probably three, four times out of the week. Anyone who calls up wants a tour, any one of us will talk to them. Our objective is to make this you know, there, there are plenty of places where, and this, is, this may sound wrong, but the, the old white guy can sit in a room and, and push his idea. Yeah. And there aren't a whole lot of places where if you're African-American and have a GED, that you're going to get that same listen to. And we hope to tap into the folks who've been trying to, to carry their story all these years and take advantage of them. The schools are another... Uh, big driving force for us. Yeah, and and to your 
old white man point. <laughs> if I was to tell someone, I was just at uh, Z-Axis Factory. It's a new business factory that's focused on share manufacturing. They're doing some amazing thing with, with welding and they have all the equipment. What do you think the founders look like? They're <laughs> maybe not thinking to women co-founders, right? right? So how uh, talk to me a little bit about that and how you hope the fact that this is a women-led organization impacts the community you build. You know, I think I, I just, my dad, I mean, I tell you a little bit, my dad was born in 1910 in Jerusalem. He was a cabinet maker from the time he was 10 as an apprentice. Um, the least sexist man I ever met. Yeah. And he was just as likely to turn to me and say, you're going to help me carry this heavy, this heavy cabinet up the stairs as anybody else. And that attitude, I think, just makes it impossible for me to really think of myself as as, as a woman first. Like, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. that sounds wrong, but because clearly I am. But the the sense that I'm doing this as a business owner, the fact that I'm a woman is incidental. Yeah. And what I do love about Chicago and America in particular is that no one else cares either. And that's great. And I like that. Having said that, I think there should be more women in this industry. I think it's a great avenue to make a, a, a great career, a great business for yourself, um, and set yourself apart. Yeah. I find it that you know a lot of women are artists. Yeah. Uh, but most of the artists are predominantly women. Um, so in some way, I am hoping that a lot more will come um, and try to uh, use their art as a, a form of, of their business. So a lot of times people don't, and like even with me, I ultimately spent years and years at a, a, a desk job, right? Yeah. And that was mostly because, you know, I, as, as for as long as I remember, right? People say, oh, you can't make money on art. I mean, like if you really want to, you know, the you know beautiful house and a horse and all that fun stuff, you're not gonna make it during making art or painting pictures unless you're Picasso or something. And that's usually after you're dead anyway. So, it, you know what I mean? Well, I hear you, we're in media. So. Right. <laughs> so ultimately the whole point is that, you know, I'm hoping that women will start coming in and they will start not only being the artist, but seeing all the other um, things and maybe learning more and, and going more into uh, the heavier duty uh, yeah. equipment. <laughs> no, it's a great onboarding. You come in as an art and then next thing you know, you're working the 3D printer, you're right. the industrial the CNC router. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's well, ultimately, if you think about it, you know, there's so many different uses for this equipment, right? Yeah. This is how we're, we're, we actually started this. Nuha was in uh, medical 3D printing. Oh, wow. And she was talking about, oh, my God, you know, this machine is just standing around for, <laughs> you know, for a month because medical 3D printing is still not as, yeah. you know, as, as um, far along. Yeah, as far along as, as, as it should be, I think. Um, but, you know, so all of a sudden we started thinking and, and brainstorming. It's like, well, you know, I, I could use that, yeah. you know, as an artist. I could totally use a 3D printer. And then we started talking about other equipment. And then we started looking at laser cutters and all this other thing, all these other things. And ultimately it just became this dream of just having every machine on the planet that's just cool. <laughs> yeah. so, so then ultimately you can come into the space and... Like even Kevin was saying, you know, he's doing things that are laser cut. Yeah. 
but ultimately he's being exposed to all these other um, tools that he's never actually thought of. And uh, he says, you know, like, you know, that would be great. It's like, I would like to try the CNC yeah. machine. Awesome. Well, I can't, can't wait to, to keep following what you guys are building. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank, thank you. you for having us. This week, Illinois got a SnapBot. Snapchat dropped one of its elusive Snapchat spectacle-dispensing vending machines in a Dave & Buster's in south suburban Orland Park, Illinois. Let's back up. Earlier this year, Snapchat, the photo and video-based messaging platform valued at $25 billion, announced it was going into the hardware game with Snapchat Spectacles, a pair of sunglasses that would take shareable, 10-second, 360-degree point-of-view video through tapping a button on the frames. Over the past few months, they ditched the typical sales in favor of selling through pop-up vending machines called SnapBots. The location is only revealed earlier that day through a secretive website. Previous locations have included a scenic overlook in Big Sur, California, and a taco joint in Austin, Texas. Then it landed in an arcade 32 miles outside downtown Chicago. So I hailed an Uber and headed to Dave & Buster's. It is currently 9.32 a.m. in Chicago, and we just got a Twitter notification that a SnapBot has landed in Orland Park, Illinois. So I just hailed an Uber, and I am heading out to the south suburbs to see if I can get my hands on a pair of spectacles. It took about 45 minutes of driving, past car washes and cul-de-sacs, to eventually arrive at Dave & Buster's, located in an Orland Park mall complex. Now, if you haven't been to a Dave & Buster's recently, I'll warn you, it's pretty loud. And this was just before Christmas. Hi, I am looking for the SnapBot. Right okay, great, thank you. Oh, all right, and we have found it. All right, so. When I got there, around 10.15, there were only about 15 people in line ahead of me. The woman behind me, Takira from Forest Park, was already in line for a second time. Her card had been declined for the second pair she tried to buy. This was actually a pretty common problem. Anyone waiting in line is allowed to purchase two pairs, one at a time. But because the machine processes transactions in California, many Spectacle Hopeful's cards were declined as their banks thought it was fraud. The savvier purchasers called and warned their banks in advance. Takira's been following the Snapchat locations for two months. She found out about it through the rapper Cleo Thomas, who's popular on Snapchat. She told me she's really not even an avid Snapchat user, but it would make a killer Christmas gift. Um, well, my sister's been talking about it, and, I mean, it's a perfect Christmas gift, and she, yeah, I didn't even tell her I was coming out here, so she should be excited, so that's why I came. Others waiting in line were excited for the new way to use Snapchat. Equa from Lansing said she's excited to go beyond selfies. I mean, it's different. They look like regular glasses, but clearly they, like, you can record, like, what you're doing, chronicle your day. I don't know, it just seems kind of cool. I've always, like wish like oh I could take video or like take pictures like from my viewpoint instead of like a camera's viewpoint so I feel like they've made it in a practical and fashionable way at the same time like um, fun so yeah I'm excited. (laughs) After 40 minutes I made it to the front of the line. The whimsical snap bot doesn't look out of place in the arcade. It's a refrigerator-sized machine that looks like a giant yellow cyclops with a cartoonish round blinking eye 
red, black, and teal circles where a nose might be, signifying the three spectacles colors, and a light-up mouth that dispenses the glasses. I walked up to the Snapbot. Its single eye blinked as it read my credit card. It cost $142 with tax. Oh, I have been approved. I am just about to get my Snapchat spectacles. And then it spit my spectacles out of its mouth. Huh? Oh, sorry, okay. <laughs> I see that. Okay, great, thank you so much. All right, I have successfully gotten my Snapchat spectacles. Back at the office, our tech reporter, Jim, got set up with the spectacles. All right, so we're going to do a little unboxing here. Jim's going to give them a try. Um, Jim, you've just put on the glasses. Um, how do they feel? They feel pretty good. Even though there's, like, a computer inside here, they don't feel real heavy. Um, they're thick. Uh, they don't look stupid. I mean, they, they look a little dorky because they're kind of big framed, but uh, I think they're kind of cool. Yeah. I actually think they look kind of fashion-y. Um, I think I have a pair of sunglasses that are about the <laughs> same shape. It's sort of like a yeah. round shape. Um, not quite like John Lennon Beatles style circles, but um, sort of like a thick rimmed uh, pair. I also I got them in black yeah, as well. So yeah, these are thick black rims. They've got the small uh, yellow circles for where the two cameras are on the sides. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty fresh, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Should we try to turn this, should we put this thing on? All in all, it was a pretty easy process. Turn on Bluetooth, open Snapchat, swipe down to access your snap code, press the button on the frame of the glasses, and boom, you're connected. We spent the afternoon walking around the office, taking 10-second point-of-view videos of our desks, office supplies, and coworkers. Let's go walk around the office and uh, talk to some folks. All right, <laughs> let's turn this on here. Uh, we're going to walk over here and talk to our... Uh, Sales guru Anthony. Anthony, say hi to Snapchat. Hi, Snapchat. You're speaking uh, directly to my glasses. Yes. Okay, now I know where to focus. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Okay, not the most exciting application of the tech, but outside the office, there are plenty of options. Other Spectacles users have used it to film ski trips, painting sessions, and even a surgery. After an afternoon of testing the specs, Jim and I sat down to discuss. All right, so Jim, you and I have both had a chance now to try out our new Snapchat spectacles. Um, so, you know, overall, what was your experience like? You know, what what, is, what did you like? What didn't you like? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so overall, like, I really liked it, even though I'm not a big Snapchat user. I found it to be very easy. I found uh, it to be kind of fun, you know? I also found myself, like, very quickly overlooking how amazing the technology is like I very quickly was like I looked past the fact that like oh I just took a video from my glasses and then it went to my phone and then I sent that to video to other people and that'll happen in the process of like you know 30 seconds and it was essentially like a seamless process it took like very little effort at all and so it's like it's just an example of like how fast technology moves and how we kind of take it for granted like I have glasses that can take video like that was really really cool uh I think the most impressive piece of technology that they've built is this, you know, 360 degree circular video. The way that you can take your uh, phone from vertical to horizontal and move it and sort of turn it around and the, and the video doesn't move. I mean, that's such the annoying thing, you know, anybody who watches a video on their phone, you tilt your phone one way and you're skewed totally the video. Flips, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the way that, that, that Snapchat has sort of built uh, both the hardware and the software component of, of this 
product has been really impressive. Um, I would totally use this again. Uh, I'm kind of jealous that you have these and I don't. I kind of wish you had gotten two. Uh, but yeah, we'll like it's, share. We'll it's, share. Right, it's cool. Okay. I, I I'll be curious to see. I mean, they're they're releasing this on such a limited. Uh, availability so we'll kind of have to see like what the mass adoption is i mean the buzz around it is massive uh will it have the staying power i think it might um, but we'll have to see once they sort of get these out kind of into the masses yeah exactly i thought like the biggest thing the biggest plus for me was that um i have really small hands and phones have just gotten larger and larger as time goes on i don't know who in tech decided Big phones are better, but it does not work with my hands. Because a bunch of men are designing these phones, yeah. (laughs) I, you know, who knows? But, um, you know, you want to watch movies, I guess, you know, that makes sense, whatever. But um, I find it really hard to take Snapchat sometimes or even, like, Instagram stories, um, which is another one that I use, because if I'm holding my phone with one hand, it's hard for me to hold down a middle button with my thumb Mm -hmm. and hold onto the phone. Like, I've tried to do that, and my phone will just fall down. Mm -hmm. And and then that, you know, defeats the purpose of capturing something. and, And so, I, you know, I actually think that as from just like a user experience it's like so much easier just to wear glasses like I wear glasses as it is um so I'm very used to that like wearing glasses all the time anyway and just to be able to press something on my frames and suddenly it's taking the video of exactly what I wanted to take a look at like I'm not someone who takes a lot of selfies or anything Mm -hmm. like that too so like most of what I am taking with my Mm -hmm. phone is like point of view style stuff but now it's even more so so I actually think it's kind of a a better user experience than like what we have now and I never thought about that until I actually put them on my face and then I had my hands free and I could like do whatever I needed to you know I I was watching a tutorial that someone was doing they were painting Mm -hmm. and so they were showing someone how you paint something while watching it and I mean that's like a very easy way and and we've seen that in VR like people have shown in VR like oh you can use this as a teaching method Mm -hmm. um you know it's so much more point of view more hands-on um but nobody wants to like put a huge device on Mm -hmm. their face so this is I think a little bit more of a seamless way to do that so it's it's definitely better Mm -hmm. um the price point though initially I thought it was like kind of expensive just because I I'm like I already paid 130 bucks right right so the price is 130 dollars and then with uh this Illinois sales tax was like 140, um, little, little over 140. Um, but then I, you know, I realized it's like, you know, people are, are willing to pay that much for headphones. They're mm-hmm. willing to pay that much for, um, like so many things. And so sunglasses, I mean, the you know, nice sunglasses will go way over that. Yeah. And these are pretty nice sunglasses. Mm-hmm. Like it, they match the style of sunglasses I currently have. Mm-hmm. So I can understand that. So, I mean, that was actually kind of a surprising thing as well. Mm-hmm. I think the like biggest uh, turn off for me with the glasses is just that while I agree it's really exciting that all of a sudden like we have this technology in our hands that does feel so futuristic like it kind of flips Snapchat from being like narcissistic to kind of a tool for surveillance in like mm-hmm. some ways um, and I'm not saying that that's how people are going to use it because you know I think a lot more people who use Snapchat are more focused on like oh look how like fun this is and I take pictures of my friends mm-hmm. or my adventures or or whatnot but the only thing that indicates that you're taking a video is a small, like, circle mm-hmm. um, of light that pops up on, on your frame. Um, and so it it does tell people mm-hmm. you're recording, but... Right. But it's, you know, I, I, I agree, but at the same time, like, there's it's more notification than someone would give you if you were just on your phone. Like, if I was videoing someone on my phone, kind of having my phone looking like I was texting, there's no indication that the video function is working there, too. So at least there's, like, an outward symbol of like hey this is a video recording but i agree with you like you do get into some weird privacy issues where you're sort of just walking and sort of always filming it's very strange but so i'll like my final two takeaways on the snapchat spectacles are one people use snapchat for selfies 
and now we've turned the camera the other way, like you said. So it's not so no longer is this being like a tool for narcissism. But that's what Snapchat is. Like people use filters and make funny dog faces, and like almost every Snapchat I get is usually my friend looking at their face, right? So I'll be curious to see how users sort of use the glasses along those lines. Two, it's been fascinating to watch how Snapchat has marketed this and branded this versus Google Glass, which everybody just hated, yep. thought it was ridiculous. Uh, Snapchat was just true to its brand and is true it's to its customers. It's sort of whimsical, goofy self. Exactly. It was like, we're not going to tell you that this is the future is, This is the future of the world, that everyone's going to wear these. They're like, no, we're just going to pop these vending machines down in an arcade and, like, come get them. Yeah. They built a product that is, that would not get an eye roll from their users, that users are, like, driving miles to go get these things. It was a really interesting branding strategy, um, and it shows you they, like, saw the blueprint of Google Glass, totally flipped that on its side and did their own thing into a product that people actually, like, are really interested in. While driving 32 miles to get camera glasses from a Cyclops vending machine and a Dave & Buster's is a little absurd, Snapchat's quirky marketing ploy seems to be working. They sold out from the Illinois location in about three hours. As for what's ahead for spectacles beyond Snapbots, no word yet. In the meantime, we'll be waiting, watching, and of course, snapping. That's it for the Chicago Inno Show. Our show is produced by the Chicago Inno team. That's myself, Karis Husted, as well as Jim Dalkey and Will Flanagan. Music is provided by Christian Husted. We're also online at chicagoinno.com, and you can hear us every week on Lumpen Radio, Sundays at 7 p.m.